Hello, I'm Rachel McTavish and welcome to episode two of our new feature, AC Life, the podcast. With so many different departments and business divisions across the group, strong leadership is vital to Arnold Clark's success. Today on AC Life, the podcast, we're talking leadership and we're going to hear from two women in the group, Margaret Spears and Emma Nielsen, who will share their experience of what it means to be a leader and also offer some helpful advice, hopefully, to colleagues who are looking to develop their leadership skills. And I'm also delighted to be joined by the new Arnold Clark ambassador and tennis coach, Judy Murray, who will be sharing her perspective on leadership and some stories from her career. Well, thank you all very much for joining us. Judy, if I can start with you. You're a household name in the world of tennis, winning 64 titles yourself as a pro. You've nurtured two world-class player sons, Andy and Jamie, and now, amongst other things, you coach the sporting stars of the future. In all the articles about you, they talk about your leadership and the way you inspire such skills as determination, resilience, and peak performance in others. Were these qualities that you always felt that you'd had? I think a lot of these um, characteristics or qualities for sure, they were all products of our environment. So I had sporty parents, so I was brought up in a sporty uh, environment. I went to a girls' school because my dad knew I loved sport and he felt there were more opportunities um, sending me there when I was about 11. And I really believe that sport teaches you so many life skills that stand you in good stead for further on in life. And I think being part of school teams and club teams and county teams and even national teams as a young person really gave me so much of it gave me so much enjoyment but also lets you understand different strengths and weaknesses of personalities of um, whatever the, the playing ability is of the sport you know trying to mix and match people how you communicate with people from different backgrounds different ages and so forth so I, I think the sport side, leading in sport um, from a young age probably gave me a lot of the skills that you need to be able to lead other things later in life. And you, you also had, in inverted commas, a normal career as well. Before we know you as Judy Murray, tennis coach, uh, you, you worked for um, a confectionery company as a, as a manager, didn't you, an account manager? Yeah, I did. I, I went to Edinburgh Uni and I, I did French and business studies and I came out of that. And, and uh, the second job that I had was as a, a sales rep and yeah, I worked for a confectionery company. I have a sweet tooth, so it kind of appealed to me. Um, and it wasn't until actually just after I'd had Andy that I had to give my job up that I volunteered at the local tennis club to give me something to do and I wasn't a coach I was just somebody who enjoyed the game and I discovered that I loved sharing the game or trying to teach the game and that led me to doing more qualifications and it ended up being a, a career that it never started off as that it started off as just trying to help the like in the local community. Well, we're going to hear lots more about your career as um, as we, we carry on. But um, Margaret, let's move on to you, your group rental director here at Arnold Clark. And I hope you don't mind me saying that you started here a long time ago, way back in 1988 as a part-time receptionist. Talk us through how you've moved through the company because you've had quite a progression. Well, I've always been in rental. I've always been in that department and I needed a job to stay. I was at Edinburgh University and I needed a job to keep a flat on for the summer. 
and a friend of a friend was already working for another rental company driving cars for the summer which I thought sounded a great job so I applied to lots of different rental companies and Arnold Clark gave me a position. Then at the end of the summer I stayed on because I had one more year at university and when I graduated in 89 I couldn't get a job in the role, a role in the position I was looking at. I studied uh, biological sciences with an honours in zoology, that's what I came out with. So couldn't get a job in that sector and I stayed on and they gave me a full-time job at Arnold Clark. And from there I've worked up. I was supervisor at the branch there. I then moved in 92 to be a manager at a new branch. I then came back to the original branch to be manager. Then in 99 I helped develop the computer system that we have today. And then in 2007, I became operations manager for the department. And then last year, I became group rental director. So did you ever consciously think, I want to move into management? Uh, initially, no, I suppose not. It wasn't something I wanted. But then once I went down to open up this new branch and start developing, then I, I enjoyed that role of it, I enjoyed that side of it, I enjoyed bringing the the branch on and seeing vehicles go out on hide and see it progress and get better. So there was always that desire to make it better and be profitable and bring in more money and serve more customers. So how many staff do you have now? So the department, I think we're about 550 staff now in the rental department. So we've got 38 branches across the country, up and down, as far north as Inverness and Elgin, as far south as Southampton. So we cover quite an area. Emma, let's hear about your story. You're currently a service manager at Sterling Renault and you've been with the company 12 years, yep. so you're the, the relative baby here. <laughs> and uh, you, you're brought up with a very keen interest in cars, weren't you? And the actual mechanical side of things yep. for your dad. Mm -hmm. Aye, so my dad's a HGV mechanic, so he's got a garage out the back and it was always, Emma, come and help me test this brake pedal or whatever. <laughs> My brothers are hopeless, hopeless. I've got two brothers and they're absolutely hopeless with cars, so always failing me. How? I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's really how I kind of fell into it. I went to college to try and do um, a course in light vehicle maintenance and I just hated the theoretical aspect of it. I just wanted to be in working on stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I applied for an apprenticeship. Ended up getting an apprenticeship in the parts department rather than in the workshop. Um, and that with another company and then was looking to move more into the service side so I had looked for service positions that were available um, and seen one man Clark and, and that was it. So I um, came into the company in 2010 as a service advisor, moved up to senior service advisor within I think a year and a half and then a year and a half after that became assistant manager. Done that for five years I think and then got my first position as a manager um, in 2019. Was it something you were apprehensive about or did you? Uh, no, I think <coughs> just because I've been in the company so long and I know things, um, I know the job kind of inside out, so it didn't feel, I wasn't scared to kind of take it on because I felt as if I knew it anyway and I think I'd been prepared through the company to, to take on that role. The, the training courses and stuff like that we had put, been put through, um, they brought in just about the time I was transitioning from assistant manager to manager so I had a lot of support to move into the role so it wasn't daunting or anything like that. Well let's talk about training and courses and how your leadership skills have developed. Margaret when we were chatting the other day you mentioned how it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility in the very early days for somebody to get the keys of a dealership thrown at them and say there you go go on start selling cars. How have, how have you seen things change over the years here? 
Yeah, when I started training, it was very much customer service training. So we did a lot just on how to deal with customers, how to speak to them, but not necessarily training for managers or supervisors. And definitely over the last 10 to 15 years, I've seen that change a lot. So we're now training the managers, giving them the skills. We're not just putting people into that position because they've been there the longest, yeah. which unfortunately may have been the thing that happened in the past. Mm -hmm and realising that actually they can crash and burn if you do that, and we've seen that a couple of times. So we now are very much giving them the skills and the something to put in their toolkit to make sure that when they step up to management, they're ready for it, they're able to cope with it and continue to support them. I'm a great one to think you learn all the time and you should still go on as many training courses as you can all, the, all through your life. You, should, you never really reach the peak that you're trained. I think we can still learn something every day from other people and the people around us as well. I think it's important. Judy, I know things have changed hugely for you over the years, but I love the story about when you first decided that you needed to go and go to a workshop about learning performance coaching in Basingstoke. This is, this is perhaps how not to encourage people. Tell us what happened. Yeah, yeah it was, oh, was about 1994, and I had a lot of good young players at our club in Dunblane, and I realised I just didn't know enough. Um, and there was nobody for me to learn from in Scotland, so I applied for a place on this this course, and uh, it was a year-long course, and I turned up for the first workshop, and it was in Basingstoke, and when I got there, I discovered there was 18 men on the course and two women, and that I was the only kind of part-time volunteer coach. Everybody else had a full-time job down south, but in those days, there was no such thing as a full-time tennis coach in Scotland because we had no indoor court, so you couldn't work all year round because, as you know, our weather is, is pretty duff. Um, so anyway, I get there and one of the tutors had said to me, oh, you know, welcome to the course. Um, and I said, I'm you know, really looking forward to it. And he said, yeah, he said, uh, you were really lucky to get a place on the course. And I said, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, we had to turn a lot of guys away. And so I said, really? And he said, yeah, he said, in fact, we had a complaint from um, somebody that we turned away about you getting a place on the course. And I said, oh, really? And I just kept saying, really? I didn't really know what to say. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, he said, he said, what could you possibly offer to performance coaching when you have two kids? And I really, I remember just sort of staring at him and thinking, this was really my first encounter with, with sexism. And I, I was kind of a mix of angry and really like, I want to go home. And I, I went to the loos and I kind of sat in the loos for ages and, you know, sulked for a bit. And then I thought about it and I thought, no, you know, I'm going to have to get my blinkers on here. I've made this commitment to come down and be part of this course. I've committed for a year and I'm going to do it and I'm not going to let him put me off. And uh, anyway, I completed the course and I was the first woman to pass that LTA's Performance Coach Award. But what that course gave to me was actually a lot of information. It didn't make me a better coach. It gave me information which I then had to go back and try and form myself with. I had to practice with it. I had to try and put it in, into a, you know, a practical sense on the court with the kids that I was working with. And actually what it made me realise was that information is one thing, but actually on the job experience and working alongside somebody who's already great at what they do is 100% the best way and quickest way to learn something. Sadly, at that time, we didn't have any big centres or world-class coaches in Scotland. And I always wished that that course had given me the chance to go and work abroad at a tennis academy or something like that so I could see what the day-to-day -day work looked like. Because, of course, you need the theory um, in the one sense, but if your job is about practically applying something and communicating something well day in and day out, the absolute best thing you can do is to have some kind of work experience or apprenticeship with 
someone or a department or a company that is excellent at what they do. What about you, Margaret? Um, who have you worked alongside in the company who you thought, oh, I've learnt a lot from them? I think there's a lot of women in senior roles in the company that I would look up to and I'm inspired by people like Carol Henry, who's our, our group people director, and Lynn McBurney, who heads up our people team, but even some of the other women that I work beside, people in my team that, that are very passionate. I think it's anybody that's very passionate about the role that they do and that brings something to it that you can learn from them working with them every day and their, in, their enjoyment and their enthusiasm for, for the job. We've got a fantastic trainer called Elaine Byrne who just brings it 100% every single day and it's just inspiring to work with her because you just think to have that passion about what you do and she must have bad days I get that but you would never know that about her she just is on it all the time and people like that I just think are a great inspiration and so many encouraged in the company to grow so many women encouraged to go for senior positions and supported I just think that's fantastic I think the company itself can inspire you to be so much better uh, I know something that really <coughs> stood out when we had our initial <coughs> chat was the fact that you said in the early days and even now you know that anybody within the company can phone anybody and, and ask for advice no, ma no matter what position they're in. Yeah absolutely everybody's very open the directors are and when Sir Arnold was around his, his phone number was out there if anybody wanted to ring him and it's always been a very accessible company which is why I think it still feels like we're a small family company. We have over 10,000 employees maybe 11 now at the moment but it is still that you can speak to any of the directors. They're all very welcoming. Nobody is, a, is above their position, I suppose, is a way to say it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to jump through hoops to speak to people and everybody is on the ground willing to talk. And I think that makes us feel like we're still very family run, even though we have a huge amount of people in the company working for us. And I think you'll agree, Emma, yeah, that that's, definitely that's the same. You can look up anybody's phone number and through the internet or whatever, and I've never been met with, why are you phoning me? Mm -hmm. It's always, yeah, no problem. How can I help? And it's so where do you where do you think you've got your guidance from within the company? I've had the the good fortune uh, of working in a lot of different branches with a lot of different managers. Um, I know a lot of different people within the company, and I like to think that I take something from everyone that I cross paths with. Um, I've worked in probably I don't know, not even count them, <laughs> ten different branches at least, mm -hmm. um, and I've worked with. A, such a mix of different people who have been in the company for a long time where I've maybe went right okay that's maybe not the way we would do things nowadays or people who are just fresh into the company and I really believe that you take a lot of your leadership from the team that you have it's not just because I'm the manager I know everything and I know the right answers all the time that's definitely not the case so it's good to have fresh people coming in with a fresh pair of eyes and say why did we do it that way and a lot of the a lot of people will say, well, we've always done it that way. And you're like, okay, right, well, that's not... Mm -hmm. We don't have to move forward that way. If there's a better way or an easier way that we can work smarter, not harder, and um, and bring it forward, then we will. So I, I really think it comes from everyone. It's not just one person I could say, oh, I've, I've taken a lot from that person. I like to take a lot from any manager that I've got. And if there's someone who's willing to give me information that I can take forward in my career, I'll, I'll try and take it on board and implement it where I can. We were talking earlier before we came in about um, um, when women are applying for these roles and perhaps being put off initially. I, I, I wondered if any of you had had any resistance from Emma. I know that it's sometimes the customers yeah. who come in. Unfortunately, and yeah. I actually had one yesterday, believe it or not. Um, yeah, there just still seems to be this real 
stigma of a female manager in, in the service department and it, it tends to come from older men, unfortunately. Sometimes there's women as well, like, really, you're the manager? Um, and it, it's quite, it's not disheartening. I, I suppose it's a generational thing that probably in their day it would never have happened. Um, but yeah, it's, no, I, I don't, I don't know, I even know how to kind of bring it across, but it just seems to be a generational thing where there's just a, such a disbelief that there's a female manager in the department of cars. Mm -hmm. How is that, how is that possible? Um, but I actually had a man commend me the other day, when a, a male customer commend me, I'm very glad to see a female in this position and you've done very well and you've answered all my questions and it's almost as if I wasn't expecting you to, but you've done very <laughs> well in changing my mind. Judy, you've obviously passed on your leadership qualities to your boys because Andy in particular is very good at being very vocal, unprompted when it comes to supporting women in sport. He does it all the time. Uh, it, that must make you very proud, but where do you think that comes from? Yeah, it, it does make me very proud and it's very helpful because sport is, of course, a, a male-dominated domain. We need many more women in decision-making positions in order to influence change on behalf of the women and girls side um, of sport. And, and the fact that Andy speaks out consistently um, really helps us because, sadly, the male voice is still much more prominent than one of the... Uh, top female players speaking out about uh, you know about the same kind of issues and I think that when he took on a female coach in Amelie Moresmo some years ago now it provoked so much attention and so many column inches and you know it, it also provoked a lot of criticism from the men's side of, of the game unfortunately but I think that really opened his eyes to how few female coaches there are at the top of any sport but in particular in, in tennis and also how really if you want to get to the top of something as a woman you have to be excellent at mm -hmm. what you do. Yeah, you and almost have to be better, you have to prove yourself to be better than than a man that would get it just because, wouldn't you? I think, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. And it's certainly something that, that I found that it really took till Andy won his first Grand Slam and Olympic gold in 2012, and then he won Wimbledon in 2013. And it was really at that point that the media stopped calling me the pushy parent. It was like, well, <laughs> it was almost like we forgive you for everything that we think you might have done wrong as a uber competitive parent, which was really the way that they painted me for many years. But, and suddenly it was like, oh wow, you know, you, you did a great job there. It, it, was really, it was really quite bizarre, but uh, a real eye-opener. But I think that, you know, for me, I, I think it was around that time that I, I got the confidence because of what uh, he had achieved. And of course, uh, Jamie had won a Grand Slam in 2007 and I'd become the Federation Cup captain, mm -hmm. which is the British women's team. And that, that gave me loads of confidence because that was somebody investing in me as a good coach rather than she's just Andy and Jamie's mum and she follows around them around the world telling them what to do. Oh, really, give me a break, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's so important that we use our voices and we use our profiles and we use our presence wherever possible to make a noise. I think Billie Jean King, who's my absolute shero, she once said to me, if you don't make a noise, nobody will hear you and you have to use your voice. And I think I started to use my voice back then in 2012 and probably never shut up since. But I think it is really important because if you can see it, you can be it. And because there are so few female coaches at the top of any sport, 
I make myself go and speak at conferences overseas because I know that women in the audience, if they see you, they'll go, I could do that or I could be that, rather than it's always male coaches because when I was learning how to coach, and again, because there was nobody for me to learn from in Scotland, I travelled a lot to workshops down south and overseas, and I so rarely saw a female speaker, mm -hmm. whether that was a coach or even a sports scientist, occasionally a nutritionist, but they were all men. And if you never see it, why would you think that that's our domain, that's our world? And I'm sure that's the same in many aspects of business, especially yeah. the motor or any of the STEM careers, in fact, although it's, it's starting to change yeah. now, but it's always slow progress. So that's really why I do a lot of work, uh, trying to encourage women to find their voices, find their presence, empower them, work together, inspire each other, motivate each other, learn from each other like we're doing today. Mm -hmm. I love hearing inspiring stories of women who have, against the odds, found a way to get to the top. And you will very often find that somewhere there is a woman who's either inspired or motivated them or held their hand or put an arm around them and, and said, you can do this. It's something we hear about so many times, isn't it? Imposter syndrome and thinking, oh, I'm not sure we were talking about job applications yeah. and, oh, I'm not sure if I can apply for that. Whereas quite often, and I, I feel terrible saying this because it, it, you are generalising about men and I don't mean that at all, but quite often you'll have men who perhaps aren't qualified for the role who um, say with great gusto, I can do that. Yeah. Uh, how do you encourage the women who are on your team to, to push themselves forward? We just spend a lot of time telling them how good they are. So when they come in for any kind of interview and they're maybe not saying, I did this, it was my idea, it was this, that and the next. I'm fortunate, I, I know the staff very well, we're out and about and so we get to know them and the managers tell me about their staff that they have. So I know when they've done individual jobs, so I, I would call them out for that. Mm -hmm. So we have correspondence that goes out once a week in rental and we use that once a month to do kind of local good news. And so if somebody's had a good idea, we'll say thanks very much to whoever, they've brought this forward, we've implemented that into the department. It's very much about sharing ideas and the group does that. The group's very much succession, recognition, progression. And I think for me it is just saying to those women when they come for their interview, what about that job that I know that you did? What about that project that you've headed up? What about that idea that you had? That was your idea. You Makes tell us that that was your it. idea. Yeah. You, you know, don't hide behind the we. Yeah. We did that. I know that was you. Tell the others about what you've done. So I find that that's quite useful because that then gives them, it's that whole thing about just actually saying to somebody, that was a really good job. That just means so much to people, just taking time out to say to them, if I know that they've done something, I'll try and mail individual people to go, I've heard you've done, you've done this, that's a great job. I heard you've, you've brought this, I've heard you've succeeded. When the branch makes money, I'll mail the whole branch, not just the manager, to go, well done team, great guys. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I think, encouraging them and knowing them to be able to say to them, no, I know you did that, you need to shout about that. You were really good, you need to tell people you're good. Yeah. You're, you're nodding in agreement there. Yeah, it's almost like just picking them out for the good things that they've, they've kind of done. I've never, I've never worked with someone, or a female, who and I said, oh, I, I can't do that, or I don't think I'm going to be very good at it, or anything like that. The females that I've worked with in the motor trade um, have always been quite confident in, in their abilities and things mm -hmm. like that. I've never actually come across anyone who thinks, oh, I, I wouldn't be able to do that because of X, Y, Z. But I think we do touch a lot on we, and we're a lot more inclusive of it was us as a team that did it, or 
um, we had that great idea and it's, it's never just the, well, I did this or I did that. Mm -hmm. So I think, like in one to ones or ten at tens, I like to, again, pick that person to say, listen, you've done a great job with that. Mm -hmm. Or if they dealt with something really well and I've, I've, I've noticed it or I've seen it happen, I'll, I'll say to them, listen, that was a really good job that you done there. You dealt with that really well. Just to give them that, I think we forget sometimes how good it is to feel that personal sense of achievement. Uh -huh. And I think through my, throughout my career, I felt that lacked in some aspects. So I think I feel now that maybe I do it too much. I don't know if there is a too much. But I like to put that out to say, listen, you've done a really good job there and you handled that really well. Just so that that person can then feel the oh right oh yeah okay I'm doing I a good job. I think nothing beats that that no, feeling no of, of somebody that. yeah 100%. Uh, of somebody saying you've you've done a good job there. Yeah. Now what about being managed yourselves by your managers? Um, Margaret, what about you being managed? Do you think you're an easy person to manage? What I don't know. You maybe need to ask the people <laughs> that manage me. I I certainly like to know if if I'm going wrong in any way and. Over the years, I've been fortunate that, in a nice way, if I'm maybe not going down the path that they need me to go down, that they will say to me, actually, you know, we need you to do X, Y and Z. And, but I like the fact that they have the confidence to do it. So I like to be told what to do and then probably left to do it. And then if I am way off, for somebody to come back and go, actually, no, this is the path you should be doing, you shouldn't be overdoing that. And I've had that a couple of times with, with managers where they've just sort of said to me, right, yeah, that's great, you're doing a good job, but actually we need you just to focus a bit more on this, or this is the goal. You know, Eddie's very good for telling you very straight where you need to be going and what he wants your department to do and leaves it in uncertain terms. But I like that. It's very straight and honest and it's very much right, okay, sit me down, one-on-one, -on -one, this is what we need from you. And sometimes that can be very daunting and sometimes it's, a, right, I have no idea how I'm going to now do what he's asked me to do. But I'm a great one for going away and sort of giving it 24 hours and just thinking rolling my sleeves up and going, right, okay, this is what he needs. I'm here, I'm in this position because they, they obviously trust me. It's back to the imposter syndrome. I think women are probably worse at that or better at that, I don't know. I think we, we suffer from it more, but it is that whole belief of I'm in this position because I've done a good job and I'm here. I'm yeah. doing this job because I know what I'm doing. Yep. I've worked my way up. I've done all those roles and I'm here and I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And therefore they've got faith in me to do it and they leave me to do it and they have the confidence to do it. So, you know, I like to be managed. I like to be thanked for when I've done a good job. I like to know I'm doing a good job. I like feedback that way. But in terms of, you know, how I've been managed over the years, I think it certainly has worked for me. And comfort zone, you spoke about a lot. I'm a great one for pushing people and myself out comfort zones. I just think mm. it's scary and you do it, but after it, that buzz off, I did that. I didn't think I did, but I did it. That was great. And I push my staff all the time. They hate me for it, but I push them <laughs> all the time. So what do you do that pushes you out of your comfort zone, Emma? Oh, I, do, I, do. I like to stay in the comfort zone quite a lot. I think probably, I mean, there will be things that come up. I used to say um, when I was an assistant manager, any time the manager went off, that would be the time that nothing I had ever heard of before. Or something <laughs> yes. that I had never cropped up before in, in my whole career happens. And it was one me to deal with it and I'm like, oh my God, why does this always happen? But it was every single time they went on holiday and it just, something obscure would happen and I would have to figure out how to deal with it. So um, that pushes me out of my comfort zone quite a lot. Um, learning how to deal with different st staff members' abilities and how they learn, mm -hmm. I find quite challenging sometimes. It's not just sometimes. one size fits all yeah. for everybody. So I'm doing... Um, 
a training course at the moment with uh, Renault, the manufacturer, and it's all about like how you take how those people learn and try and adapt your management style to help them to learn more because mm -hmm. how you learn is not how they learn and how they take information is not how you take information. Yeah. So it's quite good to see it from that point of view. Like you could be saying, okay, go and do X, Y, Z. They go and they do X, Y, Z, but they've got no idea how they got to the complete part of completing mm -hmm. X, Y, Z, but they did it. So sometimes it's, it's um, it's good to sit back and reflect on, right, okay, does that person fully understand what I've told them and have I, have I explained it well enough rather than just going, okay, go and do that and then I'll come back and I'll see how you've got on. What's more about kind of looking at it to make sure they understand why they need to do, that, do it that way and I find that quite difficult sometimes in so, a busy environment. So what, if I could ask you all, uh, Emma, I'll start with you, what would be your piece of advice either to a younger you coming through yeah. Or to somebody who's thinking, I want to, I want to step out of my comfort zone. I want to perhaps take that next step forward into a leadership role. What would your piece of advice be? hundred percent do it because the only reason I've came out, well, I've got to the position that I'm in at the moment, is by doing the things that have put me out of my comfort zone. And it's like Margaret says, once you've done it, the like the, the satisfaction and the um, the, the buzz really that you get after having been so scared about doing something and then doing it and completing it and accomplishing it is phenomenal. The feeling of having actually achieved that is far outweighs the, the fear that you had before starting it. So 100%, if you think it's something that you'd like to do but like some imposter syndrome or, or something like that's like holding you back. I've, I've suffered from imposter syndrome and most days I'm like, is this really, am I good at this? Really? But you overcome it because you can prove to yourself you know the job, you're in the position because you're good at what you do, and you've been given the position because your, your managers know that you're good at what you do. Margaret, what about you? What would your piece of advice be? I think it's believe in yourself, but also know that you're there because people believe in you as well and have put you there. And, and we do that with our, our people that are coming through to be supervisors, team leaders, whatever it is, by saying to them, we want them to succeed. We want to see them do well. We want them to be the next. We need succession planning in our mm -hmm. department. I'm not going to be here forever. You know, I'd like to take retirement at some point and disappear off in the sunset. <laughs> um, so we need succession. We need, <coughs> excuse me, people to come through. And it's that thing about believing in yourself, but have a good network of people around you. You know, speak to people, have that communication and trust. If somebody says you're doing a good job, believe that about yourself and take that on board and 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 run with it and continue to learn and continue to be inquiring and inquisitive and and don't think you know everything and take interest in what other people said you said you like to sit here and listen to inspiring stories from other people and I think that's great I love to talk to people I love to know their backstories I love to know about life outside of Arnold Clark because that's making them the person that they are and they bring a lot of that into their role and I think it is just about being open to what other people are saying to you and as a manager or a leader you don't have all the answers yeah, it's about building a fantastic team and you know, our general manager, Jeff Clark, who's one of the Clark family, he did that and he always has done that. He says he doesn't have the answers, but he's built an exceptionally good team around him mm -hmm. that we all know what we're doing. And I think that is important, that we are part of a team. We're very much team in Arnold Clark. Yeah. Judy, what would your advice be to somebody sitting listening to this? Yeah, I, 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 I agree that it is a lot about self-belief and knowing where it is that you want <coughs> to go. 
and what are currently the gaps in your knowledge or your experiences. Recognising that, being open to learn, you know, whether that's conferences, workshops, whether it's online, whether it's reading, uh, whether it's work experience, whether it's finding somebody that you can work alongside, like I spoke about before, um, and plugging those, those gaps. Um, because I think that kind of constantly needing to learn and stay up to date with what's going on, what, what's the competition doing, what am I going to need to put myself in the best position to get where I want to, where I want to go? Because the self-belief will get you so far, but you actually need to, you need to plug all of, all of those gaps. And I always say, I think especially in my experience, and um, you, know, you, you kind of get used to people saying no to you. And I started to turn no into an abbreviation for not yet. So when somebody said no to me, I would say, okay, can you explain to me why no? What do I need to do to, whether it, whether it was trying to access funding or get into something or move, move further up or, you know, whatever it was, and find out what actually is it. Because once you know what you're dealing with, it's like, right, okay, I can go off and learn that. I can go and work with that. I can go and do that. And then I'll come back. Um, so it is all about asking the questions. I think it's about a lot about developing a thick skin um, as well, you know, because none of us go anywhere without making mistakes. So you have to be open to, I need to get this wrong almost before, before I can get it right. But yeah, I think a, a self-belief for me is, is a huge thing. But self-belief, a, a lot of that, of course, comes from yourself. But it also can come from your environment and the people around you that can help to create that, that belief. And, and what you said earlier about praise and encouragement, yeah. I don't think in this country we are good enough at mm. shouting about what we've done brilliantly or praising and encouraging others or, or, or receiving um, praise ourselves. Yeah. I don't think we're good at that as, as a nation. We need to get better at that because if we want to create more leaders, you, you need to have that. You need to be able to feel good about yourself. And that doesn't mean shouting it from the rooftops. Some of the best leaders are the quietest people. And you know you can lead from the front, you can lead from the side, you can lead from, from behind. There are all sorts of different leadership styles. And I've seen that in coaching and what you said about getting to know the people yeah. that you work with as people in yeah. order to know what they respond to, what they react to. You yeah. can do a much better job of finding the right way to communicate and the right content to put in front of them yeah. if you know them as people. And sometimes that means doing a lot of social things with them because they're more relaxed in a social environment and they open up to you yeah. more. So I've, I've certainly found that with, with coaching, one size does not fit all. You have to adapt your style to whoever is in front of you. So um, yeah, I think, but I, I am a huge believer in self-belief, but self-belief comes from the environment and the people around you. Well, that's all we've got time for today. So thank you so much to my guests for sharing your experiences. Judy Murray, Margaret Spears and Emma Nielsen, thank you very much for giving up your time today. I hope you found today's episode to be inspiring and that it's given you food for thought. If you'd like to develop your skills, please check out ACE Learning for access to hundreds of personal development courses or have a chat with your manager about your own progression journey. For now, thank you very much for listening.